episode number 10. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from Authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. This is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff. In this week's episode, we're going to have the powerful parable about precious gems of the Chavetz Chaim. And then we're going to have great stories of great rabbis about Rav Shach and the fear the people had of him. Then we're going to do something on Parsha Shmini, Rav Chaim Shmuelovich, the necessity to grow. After that, we're going to do peace in our home, the third commandment of Rev. Victor Miller, third commandment of marriage, making peace as fast as possible. So in this week's parable, the Chavetz Chaim brings down a man who had a tremendous diamond trade. And he would have to travel very far in order to buy his diamonds. So he took with him $50,000 in order to buy the diamonds and $1,000 for travel. So when he got there, he was left with $500 of his travel money and the $50,000 he spent on diamonds and gems. So after he purchased all his diamonds, somebody came up to him and said, listen, I really have some unbelievable merchandise here. You want to check it out? You want to see it? He said, listen, what can I do? Uh, you know, I spent all the money already. I invested all the money. I only have $500 to get home. He says, he started to convince him little by little, and he told him this is an unbelievable deal. you got to see it. And he said to him, I'll give you these gems for next to nothing. Why? Because he had some business enemies that had false charges against him, and the police were going to come and take the gems away, but it wasn't really true. I will sell it to you very, very cheap. So he says, okay, let me take a look at them. He sees these gems. They're absolutely flawless. They're brilliant and sparkling, unbelievable deal. He says to himself, what am I going to do? I got 500 hours. How can I work this out? I got 500 hours to get home. So he thought to himself, you know something? If I travel third class, the lowest level, I could do it for 100 hours. And then I could take to 400 hours. So he offered him 400 hours for the gems, which was like an unbelievable deal. He offered him 500 hours. He said, okay, I'll take it. Because anyway, I'm going to lose my money. Let me just at least get cash what I can get for this stuff. So as he's traveling home, he has to go with his lowest level, these menial workers and beggars. He has to sleep on a seat and stretch out on the floor. He's really traveling in the worst possible conditions. He had to eat the cheapest food. And he kept calculating how much money he has, how is he going to make it home. So on the way, in one station, he was sleeping on a bench. Then he sees a friend of his, and his friend can't believe it. What are you doing here? Aren't you, what happened? Did your business fail? Are you in such bad shape? You're sleeping on a bench here in the station? He, no, he explained to him. He says, listen, I got this unbelievable deal. I had my last pennies and I had to spend it to get this deal. Let me show you the diamonds. So he shows his friends the diamonds and his friend goes, wow, those are really beautiful. I understand how you can, you know, give away all your money and travel this way in order to make a deal like that. But one thing I don't understand, you're always such a delicate and refined person. How can you go through this trip? It must be so difficult for you to all the filth and the cheap course food. And, and how can you travel like this? It must be so hard for you. So he says to him, you know, it's really true. I am really, really suffering on this trip. But what I do when things get unbearable, I go in the corner and I open up the little bag of diamonds and I look at it. And then I feel better. I say, wow, look at these beautiful gems. And then all my suffering falls away and I, I'm able to prevail to go forward on the trip. Because I know it won't last much longer now. So that was the muscle. That was the parable. What's it talking about? He's talking about the life of a yeshiva guy. The Perkyavo says like this, Such is the way of Torah study. A crust of bread with salt you shall eat, water by a small measure you shall drink, and in the floor you shall sleep. 
a life of hardship you shall live, and in the Torah you shall toil. And this is the difficult life of a yeshiva guy. It doesn't work. He sits and learns all day. He's scrapping money from here and there. He has hardly enough money for food. He has to sleep. Who knows what his living conditions are like. And at the same time, he sees all the affluence of the world. He's everybody with nice cars and clothes and food. It's very, very difficult to be a real yeshiva guy and to sit in yeshiva all of your days. So what's the advice that the Chavetz Chaim is giving us? He says, listen, when things get difficult, you have to take out your case of precious gems and feast your eyes on their brilliance and their luster. In other words, look at the tremendous Torah you learned. Look at the Chadushim, the novel ideas and the beauty you've seen by sitting in yeshiva. Think of the great mitzvahs that you're doing. Think of the value of them, the eternal value, because this world is really just like a car door into the banquet hall. It's true, living in the corridor can be difficult, but when you get to the banquet hall, when you get to the next world, you're going to appreciate all the wealth that you're going to have when you get there. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. So now I want to tell you two stories about Rav Shach. Since it was Purim last week, I want to tell you one story that happened on Purim. It said that even on Purim, Rav Shach didn't stop learning. And when they asked him, he said, he brought the, the verse from the Megillah that says, for the Jews there was light. This is talking about Torah. He didn't look kindly on time-wasting activities in Purim. He would say, sing a little bit, and then move on with the learning. And it was a known thing of the, the Yeshiva Barakim and the Yeshiva there, they would sing. So what would they sing? They would sing over their learning. They would sing over the Shirim, and, and they would be singing, but they would be singing and learning. That was one story about Rav Shach, and here's another one. It says when Rav Shach would give a shear, he would put his entire energy into giving the class. He was immersed in the sea of Torah. And indeed, after the shear, he looked as if he just emerged from the sea, for the mental and physical exertion would leave him soaked with perspiration. This image of Rav Shach has remained imprinted on the Talmud's memory for decades. You'd see so much energy that he would put into the giving over the Torah and focusing on what he was doing. And there's another story here from the same Talmud. One time, there was a group of drunken Russians that burst into the study hall, and they started going wild than everybody. So all the Talmudim ran away. But Rav Shach just sat there and continued learning. It says those drunken Russians looked at him in awe. They didn't dare go near him. Just like the verse says, all the peoples of the earth will see you, that the name of Hashem is called upon you, and they will fear you. In other words, since he was so immersed in Torah, the, the Russians saw that on him, and they were scared to get next to him. In this week's Parsha Shmini, we know that the two sons of Aaron passed away, Nadav Avihu. It says that they brought an alien fire, a strange fire, to the Mizbeach, and a fire came down and consumed them. So the verse after that says, of this is what Hashem said, I will be sanctified for those who are close to me. In other words, a little mistake came out, and from that they passed away. And that was the sanctification of God's name, because the fear of God came down on the people. And Rashi brings down the Torah's Kahanim that says that Moshe said to Aaron, I was under the impression that it was either going to be you or me. Now I see that they are greater than us. So we see that they were on a tremendously high spiritual level. Chazal brings down that what they did wrong, one of the things they did wrong was that they paskin, they gave the halacha without asking Moshe, even though it was the correct halacha. But still, it was proper to bring the fire to the Mitzbeach, but they did it without asking Moshe. So you see, it was a small mistake that they made. And from that small mistake, 
they made a Kiddush Hashem and they brought the fear of God onto the people. Now we know that in three parshas from now, Achraimos, that that's the parsha that we read during Yom Kippur. And the Ber Hetev in the Rechaim says like this, Anyone, when contemplating the untimely death of Aaron's children, is generally filled with sorrow and anguish to the point that he has tears, he merits forgiveness for his sins. I will not suffer the death of his children during his lifetime. And that's why we read it on Yom Kippur, because if we cry over it, all our sins will be forgiven. So Rav Chaim Shmuelovich asked the obvious question, how can we possibly cry over something that happened 5,000 years ago? We're talking about the sons of Aaron that died, and how are we supposed to have any types of feeling towards that event, to the point that we cry over it? So he says, first we need to explain the impact that an individual has on society. We know that the consciousness of one individual affects the entire society. In other words, each individual who makes up society bounces off the society as a whole. So if one person has a higher consciousness, that consciousness is going to affect the entire world. And he brings a riot for this from Gemara Chulun, where Rav Yishmael rebuked Ben Azai, even though Rav Ben Azai was bigger than him, and he said, it's Chaval, you didn't learn more from me. And he uses Lashem Chaval. And Rashi explains there that Chaval, the Lashem Chaval, which means it's a shame, means a crippling blow to the world as a whole. So if Ben Azai would have learned more from Yishmael, he would have affected the entire world. So we see that the level of consciousness of one individual is going to affect the entire world. And it brings another riot for that. Also, this is when Eliyahu Navi passed away. So Elisha, at that point, he lost his nevuah. Because as the gutter leaves the world, as the great person leaves the world, the consciousness of the world goes down. I also heard, I don't remember from where, but they said that when a big person dies, in a certain sense, his consciousness is up for grabs. For example, if he's a, he was a tremendous masmid, he had tremendous diligence in his learning, at that point, you can grab that diligence because it needs to be in the world. This person left the world, somebody else could grab it, which is also a wild idea. So Rav Chaim Shemuelovich wants to answer, why is it that we're crying over the death of two sons of Aaron? The answer is the two sons of Aaron were on a tremendously high level. They were on a level higher than Moshe and Aaron. So we lost their consciousness. The fact that they passed away earlier means we lost their level of spirituality, left the world. If they were to continue to live, we would have been again reaped the benefits of that, all the generations. It's not just their individual consciousness, it's the consciousness that expresses this all of society. So he goes on to explain that don't say, listen, who am I? I'm just a regular guy. What's the difference what I do? It's not true. We know that Hannah, who prayed for her son, had Shmuel. And what did she pray for? She prayed that he should be an average child. And the fact is that that child came out to be comparable to Moshe and Aaron. So every individual has tremendous ability to reach spirituality. It's on top potential. Every person has it. But the Kiddush is that even if it's not just an individual thing, when you tap your spirituality, you're spreading spirituality to the whole world. And in a certain sense, that's why the world is such a mess, because nobody's topping their spirituality. But if they were, tremendous blessing would come into the world. There's even a Vayikra Rabbah that says that man's spirituality, holiness, is comparable to God's holiness, however, whatever that means. But we have much, much more potential inside of ourselves that we don't know about. So now the question is, how do we tap that potential? 
So if Chaim Shmuelevich wants to bring three things that's going to help us to reach our potential. The first thing is a melez b'toira. A person has to be involved in learning. The Torah is the source of our holiness. If we get involved with it, we become holy. The more we learn it, the holier we become. The more energy we put into it, the more holier we become. The amount of hours, the focus, the concentration, that's going to make us spiritual. And that spirituality is going to affect the entire world. The second thing is abstention from hedonistic indulgence. And he brings down the Perkyavis that I brought down in the parable, which is the way of studying Torah, eat bread with salt, drink water with a measure, sleep on the ground, lead a life of hardship and toil and toira. If a person wants to be a real tamakakam, he has to separate himself from the pleasures of this world. But it's not a punishment. When you're involved in learning, you're happy. You're growing. You're excited. And the third thing is prayer. A person has to pray to be spiritual. He has to pray to overcome his physical nature. It needs prayer, and he needs to pray in order to become a tamachakam, in order to become a year chamayim, someone who fears God. He has to pray for these things. And he brings the famous Gemara from Nida that says, What shall a person do to become wise? He replies, Let him persevere in study and minimize his commercial affairs, which really the first two things. They counted, but many people have done this, and it hasn't helped them. Rather, he should request wisdom from the one to whom wisdom belongs. Like it says, For Hashem grants wisdom, and from his mouth, knowledge and understanding. So if we have those three things, Torah, abstention, and prayer, we can reach to new, new levels. Every individual can reach to a new level. And when he reaches the new levels, he brings blessing into the world. It's not an individual thing. He also brings down, I don't want to talk about it, but people who don't do these things, they're actually bringing curses into the world. They're bringing klalot, negative energies into the world. But we have the potential to bring spirituality and goodness and blessing into the world. We just need to do it. We need to value it. We need to cry on Yom Kippur that the sons of Aaron died, that that spirituality left the world. We need to cry over the lack of consciousness because that lack of that consciousness, if it was here, would bring us happiness and blessing. The higher our consciousness, the greater and more pleasurable life becomes and the more goodness that comes into the world. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. So now I want to talk about the third commandment of marriage, which is make peace. I actually spoke about this in podcast number six, but since we're going through the Ten Commandments of Marriage, let me speak about it again. He brings a couple more details here. He says that a person should make peace as soon as possible in the marriage. Don't let the quarrel continue for long. He explains that a fight is like a, a hole in the dike. The longer that the water flows through, the greater the chance that the argument's going to get bigger and bigger. So you have to make peace as soon as possible, even if it means going around what the other party is entitled to, even if the other party is wrong, even if the other, they're wrong, you're right, the other, your wife, your husband, they're wrong. doesn't matter. Go make peace. Offer them a piece of cake, <laughs> he says, even if they turn it away, but at least you're starting the overtures of peace. The person sees that you want to make peace. Do something that they give a sim and give a sign that, that you want to make peace. And he says, a long-standing quarrel becomes an illness, a permanent attitude. People can fight for years, God forbid. God forbid. People can fight for years and years over nonsense. It's just a question of making peace because they just got into the habit of that's the way it is. And the argument continues for years and years. It's underlying. Sour relationship. He says, don't go into the other bedroom, which is the other commandment, but he brings it here also. Don't leave. Don't try to make peace. And he says, in most cases, women are better at this. 
women are softer and they have the ability that even though even though you were wrong, the man was wrong, the woman will come and say they're sorry or who knows what. They have a greater ability to do that. A man usually says, I didn't start it. She started it. I'm not going to let go. Says, Many marriages have been saved by the soft and yielding nature of the wife. But if you happen to have a tough wife, then the man has to take on that job. He has to give in first. And Reverend Victor Miller concludes like this. He says, God forbid, maybe he came to a situation where he gave her a slap. He actually hit his wife. What is he supposed to do then? How is he supposed to make peace? He says, go buy a diamond. Maybe you have to pay installments for five years. But let her bring the diamond home and give it to her. She'll probably take the diamond. <laughs> so do what you can to make peace as soon as possible. That's the third commandment of marriage. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please tell your friends. Please leave comments, and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit RabbiMinterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments. 